Pastor Ray Bentley says a good deal of the success or failure we experience in the Christian life revolves around our focus. It's not about you, not about me. It's about the Lord, and then because I love Him and fall in love with Him and want to worship Him and know Him and experience Him, then I bless others. Human beings were made to be like Jesus, to be loving, and to be loving means to be selfless. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. The essence of discipleship is following the Lord, placing our focus on Him, not on ourselves. But it also concerns how we model the Lord's compassion, caring more about others and less about ourselves. Insight on that today, along with the majesty of God and the reality of the forces of darkness. Let us open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. The disciples witnessed the greatest revelation of God's majestic glory ever shown to mankind. I think about how long that that evening must have been where Jesus was shining to them and uh, probably into the evening and to the setting of the sun until finally, uh, you know, brighter than the stars of the Milky Way. There Jesus manifest his glory up on top of that mountain. I want you to go back with me, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, just for a, a moment, a couple of verses I want to look at before we tell our story tonight. He says in verse 23 of Luke 9, then he said to them all, Jesus is explaining to his disciples, look, guys, I, I need to, um, he's on his way to being transfigured. And he's telling them what it means to be a disciple. He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. He is describing to them what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, he says, who do you say that I am? They say, you're the Messiah. And Jesus essentially says, don't tell anybody. Not right now. Not between now and the time that I am to be crucified because listen, guys, I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be despised. I am who I claim to be. I have the power I claim to have. And yet this is what the scriptures said will happen. And they didn't understand that. They thought the kingdom was going to come with all of his power. He can walk on water. Demons obey him. Nature obeys him. Death obeys him. Disease runs away. Well, he could just go in and Romans all fall down and the kingdom come. And they are arguing on their way to Jerusalem about who will sit on his right hand and his left. They were expecting the kingdom to come. But even in this moment where they're graduating, you know, one question test, 
Who am I? Well, you're the Messiah. He's saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, then for a while you're going to be rejected yourself. You're going to have to deny yourself and love others and live for others. Because it's not until I return in my glory that the kingdom of God will come. And then with all the holy angels. So deny yourself and follow me. These are the requirements of discipleship. They were the requirements of discipleship then and they remain the requirements of discipleship today. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the Lord. And then because I love him and fall in love with him and want to worship him and know him and experience him, then I bless others. And my needs get met not by me selfishly taking care of me, but I get taken care of by my loving Heavenly Father. And I feed on the reward of living a righteous life, blessing others, and being blessed by seeing fruit in their lives. That's love. Human beings were made to be like Jesus, to be loving, and to be loving means to be selfless. So the kingdom of God is not man-centered, it is God-centered, amen? Amen. It's all about him. And so we live for others. So as I submit to God, and he leads me and guides me, and I I surrender my life to him, then I will be a blessing to many others. Now look with me in verse uh, 31, very quickly. Just thought I'd point this out. Who appeared in the glory And spoke of his, this is about Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory with Jesus in the transfiguration and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, the King James, New King James has decease. I think NIV has departure. Is that right? Have the word departure there. Here's what you need to know, and I put it in your notes. Whether it's uh, in New King James, the word decease or where if in the NIV you have the word departure, the Greek word is exodus. Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration was talking about my exodus. Who is he talking to the exodus about? Moses and Elijah. This would have stirred up all the memories, all the stories of their great exodus from a a world of bondage and slavery to a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so we are, Jesus is, is leading, he's the first one to cross over from a planet cursed with sin to lead us into the promised land where the kingdom of God shall be on the earth, the lion will lie down with the lamb, the leaves of the trees will finally be for the healing of the nations, There will be no more curse. There will be no more sin. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. Somebody has to be first to cross, as it were, that Jordan. Jesus, that very word in the Greek, and you you don't get it in the English, but in the Greek, which is so rich, Jesus is talking about his exodus. So all, it just shows how all the Old Testament imagery was a picture of Jesus himself who crosses that mighty river and then what is that? The death. And then his resurrection and bringing us into the promised land. It's a very beautiful, uh, beautiful picture. Now go with me to verse 37 and here's, here's the story that happened as they come down the mountain. It says, now it happened on the next day when they had come down from the mountain. So they were up there for quite a few hours that a great multitude met him. They're waiting for Jesus. (laughs) 
If you knew that Jesus was, uh, you know, up on Black Mountain and with his disciples, how many of you would be willing to go tomorrow morning at first daylight and let's, you know, wait for him when he's coming down? I mean, what, what better thing would there be possibly to do? What better place would there be than to wait for Jesus? There he is, and to see him coming down. There he is, there's Peter, there's James, there's John. Miracles are happening, and they're coming down the mountain. What did others see or hear of that transfiguration experience? We don't know. But we can only imagine the other disciples who were not part of that uh, inner revelation, uh, talking to the people, people asking them questions. And so when he comes down, there's a vast multitude. In verse 38, suddenly, when all the excitement, Jesus finally comes, everybody is running up to him. Suddenly, a man from the multitude cried out saying, teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out, it convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. And this was a desperate scene. And, uh, you know, I just share with you that from my own personal experiences of walking with the Lord and knowing the Lord, that every aspect of the supernatural in the Bible is real. There really, really are not only heaven, everybody believes in heaven, wants to go to heaven, basically. Uh, fewer people want to believe in hell, but if heaven is real, guess what? There really is a hell. And if there are the beautiful seraphim and the beautiful cherubim, there's also demons, fallen angels, the king of which is Lucifer himself, means the brilliant, luminous one. He was so beautiful, he fell in love with himself. Now, you know, we don't know a whole lot about this a whole realm, but it is interesting. These cherubim are in, these are anointed cherubs, or these are covering cherubs that oversaw all of the highest ranking and all the rankings of angels. Well, one of them was named was Lucifer, and it says, you were perfect in Eden. Well, as soon as it says, you were in Eden, the holy mountain of God, you know you're not talking about some king on earth from Tyre. You're talking about the spirit behind him. And which is a whole other fascinating subject that the Bible seems to indicate for those who have places and positions of power, uh, empires and so forth, there can be spirits behind them. And that's why there is spiritual warfare going on that manifests itself in wars and atrocities and famines and, and all the rest of the, uh, the things that go on there. But it says, you were perfect in all of your ways. Speaks of his uh, voice. In poetic Hebrew, the voice of the tabrets of thy pipes. So here we have this dramatic scene where a fallen angel and these, you know, ancient fallen twisted souls because they have departed away from God, 
look at the, what they do. They hurt. Here is a boy who has seizures and he's thrown to the ground. He convulses, he foams at the mouth, he grinds his teeth, he becomes stiff as a board. Many times he's thrown into the water or into the fire to commit suicide. There are demonic forces at work. Now, there are also people that have seizures and have physical illnesses and mental problems and emotional instabilities that are not in any way demonic. But let me just say that there are also other things that are beyond physical, chemical uh, deals and people that in, in whatever unfortunate ways have opened themselves up to the supernatural. And if you have any of that in your background or any of your, in your friends or family, renounce it in the name of Jesus Christ. Resist it. It is not anything to be trifled with, toyed with, played with, whether, you know, horoscopes, tarot cards, Ouija boards, anything of the occult. Avoid like the black plague. It is death and poison to your soul. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. At Maranatha Radio, we've received so many cards, emails, and social media messages expressing appreciation for Pastor Ray's teaching. Pastor Ray was my pastor, and my heart hurt when I found out that he was gone from our presence. I know that he is greatly missed by so many. I always appreciated how he took time to talk to people. He was just so kind and full of love. I considered him not just my pastor, but my friend. And I'm thankful that this is not goodbye, as we will see him again in heaven someday. Listener comments are so encouraging. If you'd like to express your thoughts and tell us how these messages have impacted your life, would you take just 60 seconds and write an email? Send it to ray at raybentley.com or post it on our homepage at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. Somehow this poor boy, and, and so now, what's ironic is here's the, the transfiguration. Jesus comes down the mountain and is met in the valley with this tragic, desperate situation and the father's beside himself. What's also ironic is that the, dis, the other disciples, besides Peter, James, and John, are there, have been there, have probably witnessed the boy, and apparently tried to cast him out. Luke gives us a, an edited version of the story, and some of the other gospels give us a longer one. They tried, but they couldn't do it. And what is interesting about that is that earlier we know the disciples had cast demons out. They had the power, they had the authority. Jesus had sent them out and demons would fly out of people. Why is this one different? Well, we aren't told a lot of details. We don't know, we know what Jesus said. And the basic uh, problem becomes unbelief. Now we know the disciples have just said, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. They've seen his, his power and everything else. But Jesus has been physically, visibly separated from them. When he was down here on the ground, as it were, go out, well, he's right back, we can run to him. But when he's up on the mountain, kind of out of sight, out of mind, it's now just them. Were they maybe a little bit just thinking and trusting in themselves or some methodology? Well, I said it this way, and I emphasize that word. And all of a sudden they get wrapped up in how they're doing it and everything, nothing is working. 
What's also interesting to me is that Jesus um, emotionally kind of explodes. He, and, and you can imagine after what he has just experienced, he has lived, and again, he is fully, yes, fully divine and fully God, but he is also totally 100% human. He has lived from the time he was a little boy, people whispering about him, who talk about his mom, and this was illegitimate, and Mary became pregnant, it's not by Joseph, there's a story of angels, yeah, right. Is that really true or not? And then that he had to be disciplined when his father died when he was young and he was in the carpentry shop and from the time he's 12 until he's 30, he's kind of the man of the house and he has hidden his glory for so long, so many years. Now finally he's been able to manifest his glory, now he's been able to go up on a mountaintop and experience the glory of the Ancient of Days before he came to the earth was conceived humanly here. He is the eternal son, the ancient of days who has no beginning. And now finally he's up on the mountain and, and manifests that glory and he comes down and his disciples, his graduates, are struggling, as it were. And he says, oh, this faithless and perverse generation. But here, and as he rebukes the demon and casts the demon out, he manifests his glory. And what's beautiful about this is that Jesus not only manifests his Shekinah glory up on the mountaintop, and by the way, uh, yes, in that place, in the heavenlies, he is in that glorified, risen, resurrected body even now. Revelation describes him, his hair is as white as snow. He is seated upon the throne, a robe as red as, as just dipped in crimson blood, uh, golden rope high around his waist like a priest. His hands and his feet are like burnished bronze in the sun. His face shining like the sun, his eyes like a flame of fire. He's glorified upon the throne at the right hand of the majesty on high. But now Jesus manifests his glory again at the bottom of the hill, at the bottom of the mountain, down in the valley where needy souls are suffering. And I want to suggest to you, where is the glory of the Lord manifest here upon the earth? It is manifest whenever we individually or corporately worship Him. God comes and inhabits the praises of His people. And I'm putting human words to this. There is a palpable, tangible experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit when even two or three gather together in His name and are caught up to worship Him. It's like God comes. He can't resist being loved because God is love. When we personally or corporately worship him, the presence of the Lord will manifest himself and also through evangelism or through compassion or through uh, praying for people or, or loving people and, and letting Jesus move through us in our actions, our words, our countenance, our face, our hands or our feet. The glory of the Lord comes down into the valleys, comes down into the places of suffering. 
Now, many wonderful and good things happen here at Maranatha Chapel, and, and it's a great place of worship, and we do, we share the gospel, we go through the word, and, and many of you bring your friends and your family, and, and they come here, and they hear the word, and their hearts are pierced, and they're touched, and they're prayed for and blessed, and it's, it's amazing, and it's wonderful. But I also encourage you that in your offices, in your, you know, work cubicles, in your neighborhoods and streets and alleys and when you come in contact with others in the name of Jesus Christ, the glory of the Lord, if you allow him, can be manifest in you, through you, through your words, through your actions, through having compassion for people, through praying for people. Uh, whatever you do in the name of the Lord, the glory of the Lord and the glory of Christ shines in you and through you. And in many ways, of course, when the body comes together, it's glorious and it's full of light and it's marvelous. But if we are like a salt shaker, <laughs> the best use of salt is when it is shaken out of the salt shaker and spread evenly out over the world. And that's what the Lord desires, is that we would go out into the world and, and you know, be salt, the salt of the earth. Salt creates thirst, salt brings flavor, salt brings zest and life. And that's what we have. Second Corinthians chapter three, verses 16 through 18 talks about that indwelling glory. Let's read this scripture out loud together, shall we? Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. I love that. That word there, are being transformed, the Greek word there is the same root word as transfigured. As Jesus was transfigured, so you are being transfigured and transformed. Did you know that little by little, your light or the glory of the Lord shining in you and through you is getting a little bit brighter. As you walk with him a little bit every day, it's getting brighter and brighter. And one day, we ourselves shall shine like stars. Daniel chapter 12 verse three says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. That means you are glorious beings. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Pretty amazing. We can't see how bright we are now, but the Lord can. And we can see the effect and the influence of those who are filled with his spirit. Let's close with uh, Revelation chapter 22, verses three through five. Let's read this last scripture out loud. The throne of God and of the lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen? Amen. A glimpse of our future from Pastor Ray Bentley to close today's study here on Maranatha Radio. Glad you've joined us today. Now, today's study is titled, The Majesty of God. If you missed any part of the presentation, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. We hope you'll stop by our site today. 
When you're there, you can leave a few words in tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And under media, you'll notice three words, watch, radio, and Devo. Three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights. Plus, click about and find out more about Pastor Ray and find out how you can come into a deeper relationship with the Lord. And at the bottom of the page, you can sign up to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions via email free of charge. Plus, you'll find other spiritual growth books and resources from Pastor Ray, including his new book called The Final Witness, an eye-opening prophetic fiction novel. So many are enjoying the full five-book series called The Elijah Chronicles. You can, too. And RayBentley.com is always where you'll find the best deals on Pastor Ray's resources. You can also make a donation right there on the site. Your investments help bring the whole gospel to the whole world. Our mailing address is Maranatha Radio, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in Luke. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.